Welcome to Disciple Making Ministries Podcast. This is your host, David Spirik, broadcasting from Kyiv, Ukraine. This is a missionary podcast dedicated to multiplying disciple-making movements internationally. Our vision is to finish the disciple-making movement that Jesus started and passed on to his disciples. Our mission is to engage, to establish, to equip, and to empower believers internationally to start their own disciple-making movements among family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and churches. Our values include being biblical, incarnational, relational, transformational, reproducible, faith-driven, prayer-driven, process-driven, principle-driven, kingdom-driven, and Holy Spirit-driven. Our services arise out of our spiritual gift set of teaching, knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, and apostleship. We're glad that you joined our show today and would like to get to know you better, so drop us a note to introduce yourself and let us know from where you're listening. We welcome ideas for future show topics and guest speakers. We're reaching for excellence here, so leave us some feedback on our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org or leave us a voicemail message on our telephone line at area code 214-377-1107. You may indicate there if you'd like your voicemail message to be included in a future podcast episode. I'll return in just a few moments with today's main topic. Welcome to another engaging episode of Disciple Making Ministries podcast dedicated to honoring and promoting the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. The purpose of our show is to engage an international audience like you and to encourage you and then to equip and empower you for starting your own disciple making movement among your family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, classmates, and even in local churches. We see a huge untapped potential out there in the kingdom of God. There are hundreds of millions of Christians who are simply sitting on the sidelines, being entertained Sunday after Sunday, watching a few perform, while they never experience the joy of victory on the winning team. You know, Coach Jesus has modeled for you a great game plan of discipleship that cannot fail. He knows that you are more gifted and talented than you are letting on. He has a space for you on his team But you have to, by faith, take some initiative. You have to come out of the spectator section. You have to humble yourself. You have to lay aside all that which hinders you from having more success. You have to start a training program and listen to his instructions. And you have to persevere throughout the entire game. Jakeem Grant, standing just 5 foot 7 inches and 195 pounds in the NFL, did just that. Despite his hood ornament size, Jakeem Grant humbled himself, exercised, laid aside that which so easily hindered him, and got into the game and persevered throughout high school, throughout college, and into the NFL with the Miami Dolphins. And last Sunday, this smallest man on the team made the biggest play, scoring a 75-yard punt return touchdown. So be like a Jakeem Grant of getting out of the spectator section and getting into the game of discipleship. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
I do not consider my life of account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. These verses remind us to get into the game and to endure and persevere to the very end. And now for this week in Disciple Making Ministries news. You know, back in the summer when I expanded Disciple Making Ministries from a local venue to the internet, I assumed that most of my audience would probably come from Western English-speaking countries. However, after several months of producing this show and expanding to the internet, it seems that there's more of a hunger for discipleship training in Asia and in Africa. These past couple of weeks, we've been engaging and encouraging and equipping pastors online through the internet in countries such as India, Kenya, Nigeria, and now even Pakistan. Pastors and leaders from these countries have personally invited us to come to their countries and help train disciple-makers. So we're asking people to pray for God to provide the finances so that we can purchase round-trip airfare and pay for the visa expenses to go there and spend a couple of weeks training disciple-makers who will go repeat the process with others. Do you want to have a huge impact for the kingdom of God? Then consider supporting our short-term discipleship training ministry trips to these needy areas of the world. You know, I just read an article that approximately 40% of the population of Africa is under the age of 18 years old, and they're projecting explosive growth in Africa and, of course, in Asia. The pastor in India who's been writing me lives in a state with 36 million people alone, and that's just one state of the country of India. So if you want to really be strategic, if you want to have high reward with a low level of investment, then consider giving financially and investing in us to go and make disciples who will reproduce the same into the lives of others. So tell me, which will last into eternity? A multi-million dollar megachurch building in the United States? Or reproducing disciple-makers who will go out and influence hundreds and thousands and millions of people? Think strategically. Think practically. Think as Jesus would about spiritual investments. And now I'd like to spend some time in prayer for those pastors who have reached out to me to come and help them make disciples of Jesus where they live. I'd like to pray for God to send them a great harvest, for God to give them wisdom in how to best multiply disciple-making movements, and for God to empower them for His kingdom expansion activities. Let's pray for those in Ukraine, India, Nigeria, Kenya, and now Pakistan. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we know that you have given us your great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And so right now, we lift up these pastors. We lift up Pastor Ali here in Ukraine doing marketplace ministries in outdoor markets. We pray for you to encourage him, to empower him, to equip him that many could come to know Jesus as their Savior. 
We pray also for Pastor Jacob in India, church planting in villages with millions of people around him. Ask you to bless his ministry, to expand it, to encourage him, and to equip him to equip others for the work of the ministry. We pray for Pastor Urdimi in Nigeria, who right now is teaching a conference and is going on another mission trip and doing leadership development. We pray also for Pastor Jared in Kenya, who is leading a small independent church, asking you to grow that church, to expand that ministry, to expand his horizons. We ask also for Pastor Peter in Kenya, who's working among orphans and widows, that you would strengthen him. True religion is ministering to orphans and widows. We pray for Pastor Henry in Kenya, who has asked for spiritual warfare training to break through in certain areas of his ministry. And we pray for Pastor Paul in Kenya, who is doing a revival crusade in December, who is taking my 10 basic lessons for new believers and teaching that to the people in his congregation there. Lord, we ask for you to provide ways for us to travel to these locations, to these pastors, to walk alongside them, to encourage them, to equip them, and to help them become more effective reproducers of disciple-makers in their areas of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now for today's main topic. You know, many of you out there have received a calling to get into the game of discipleship. But you're afraid to start, or perhaps you simply don't know how to overcome some of the barriers. Well, this episode is for you, for beginners. In this episode, I'm going to give you some practical principles for building relational bridges into the lives of others, starting conversations that will be useful for evangelism and discipleship. If you sincerely want to learn some techniques for building relational spiritual bridges into the lives of those around you for evangelism and discipleship, then stay with us. You know, bridges can be fascinating and beautiful structures to admire. I don't know about your computer, but every day my computer changes the background picture to a new beautiful scene. And this week they showed the scene of a beautiful bridge. Bridges are beautiful not only because they're special structures, but because they have special purposes. They are designed to bring together land masses, roads, resources, and people groups that otherwise would remain separated and less effective. Now, I live here in Eastern Europe, in the country of Ukraine, in the city of Kyiv, situated on the Dnieper River. Kyiv is currently home to approximately 3 million people, making it the eighth most populous city in Europe. Now, Kyiv is one of the oldest cities in Eastern Europe. It dates back to the 5th century, being a major stopover point on the river trade between Scandinavia and Constantinople. There have been many wars fought here in this land, which is now called Ukraine. And Kyiv has had an historic struggle trying to unite peoples living on both the left and right banks of this Dnieper River. Now in the winter, when the river is completely frozen over, it is possible to walk across on the ice. But during the remainder of the year, it is practically impossible to cross the river without help from either a boat or a bridge. 
There is a fascinating history behind the bridges of Kiev. The first stationary bridge in Kiev was completed in 1853. At this time, this chain suspension bridge, named the Nicholas, was one of the largest and most beautiful bridges in Europe. A second stationary bridge was completed in 1870, being a railroad bridge, named the Struve. In February of 1870, the first train by the Kiev Kursk Railroad Company crossed the river and entered into the Central Railroad Station on the right bank of the city. Now a third bridge, named the Rusinivsky, was completed in 1906. But like personal relationships, bridges can be hard to build, but easy to destroy. All three of those early bridges were easily blown up either by the retreating Polish troops in the wars in the 1920s or by the retreating Nazi and Soviet troops in the wars in the 1940s. Yes, it takes a lot of time and energy and resources to build up a bridge, but very little time and energy to destroy one. Ukrainian engineer named Yevgeny Patton sought to restore that Nicholas chain bridge, but he ended up having to build a completely new bridge in its place because the chains and materials had rusted in the water. That new bridge, named the Bosch, was completed in 1925, but in September of 1941 it was destroyed along with the others by the retreating Soviet troops. Eventually, Patton had another bridge named after him, which was completed in 1953. That bridge still stands today, spanning 1,543 meters across the Dnieper River. Since then, Kiev has added other bridges. In 1976, they completed a bridge named the Moscow Bridge that links the northern regions of Kiev named Petrivka and Tryeshna. This bridge is a cable extension bridge spanning 816 meters on one side and 732 meters on the other. As the city of Kyiv grew, there was a need for more traffic across the river. The Pivdini Southern Bridge for both cars and the green subway line was completed in 1990. This bridge is a double suspension cable bridge supported by two columns that rise to a height of 115 meters. As the economy increased after the fall of the Soviet Union, so did the automobile traffic. There was a need for a new bridge, named the Darnitsky Bridge. It was opened both to rail and automobile traffic by the year 2011. Now why am I telling you about all these fascinating bridges in the city of Kiev? Well, I tell you this brief story to illustrate the importance of bridges in connecting territory, roads, resources, industry, and people unto positive development. I share this story to remind you how hard it is to build a bridge and yet how easy it is to destroy one. I also share this story about bridges to illustrate that spiritual bridge building is so important for evangelism and discipleship. You know, I feel like there are many believers out there in this world who are listening to this show and they really want to become more effective in evangelism and discipleship, but either they are afraid or they don't know how to start the process to build a relationship into someone else's life. So one of the biggest obstacles to evangelism and discipleship is learning how to be a bridge builder into people's lives. 
We here at Disciple Making Ministries want to help you learn how to build bridges that cross barriers for more effective evangelism and discipleship. Just as the city of Kiev has found ways to overcome the natural barrier of the Dnieper River, so disciple makers must find ways to bridge the barriers into other people's lives. What kind of barriers might there be in the life of an unbeliever or a new believer? Well, there are many. There are intellectual, cultural, religious, educational, geographical, language, financial, technological, moral, gender, ethnic, and many other barriers to communicating the gospel and discipling someone unto spiritual maturity. When I think of intellectual barriers, it reminds me of the story of Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell had a huge intellectual barrier to receiving the gospel. But as he dug into the story of Jesus and realized all the evidences that demand a verdict on the story of redemption through Jesus Christ, he became a believer. There are also cultural barriers into the lives of people. Some people are just distracted by having certain foods, dresses, holidays, traditions, and these things prevent them from hearing the message of the good news of Jesus Christ that crosses all cultural barriers. Sometimes there are religious barriers. Some religions build hatred into their religion against the way of Jesus. For example, right now in countries of the Middle East, there are many persecutions against those who follow the way of Jesus. Sometimes there are educational barriers to the gospel. We Christians have sometimes placed seminary-trained so-called professionals at the top of our list of those who are able to do ministry and then everybody else must sit there and do nothing. This is an educational barrier that we have placed inside our own churches today. Sometimes there are geographical barriers. There are distances that make people divide from one another. Now we here at Disciple Making Ministries are seeking to break down a number of these barriers. We are using the instrument of the internet in order to break down a geographical barrier. We can sit right here in our living room and train disciple makers through the internet, through video conferencing platforms, through email. I'm having an impact right now in the lives of some people in India, Nigeria, and Kenya, all from my living room. Sometimes there are language barriers. We allow the differences in language to be an excuse for conflicts. That is happening right here in this country. Right now, one country is using this excuse of a language barrier to cause a conflict in this country. Sometimes there are gender barriers. We allow gender differences to divide people and to hinder effectiveness. For example, in the workplace, there is sometimes a gender barrier, and women are not allowed to make salaries and to hold positions that certain men are allowed to have. And then, of course, there are ethnic barriers. It's so amazing how people can divide one another based on some ethnicity background. You experience that with the skinheads here in this country who have something against those people from Africa or different nations. 
So there are so many barriers that disciple makers need to be aware of and so many bridges that we disciple makers need to build into the lives of those around us in order to effectively share the gospel and to disciple them unto full spiritual maturity in Christ. So in today's episode, I want to share with you nine bridge building techniques that Jesus used with an individual in order to evangelize and bring her into the kingdom of God. And I want to encourage you to get out of the bleachers and get into the game of doing evangelism and discipleship because you have been called for this purpose in the great commission of Jesus Christ. Stay with us. If you want to learn how to build a computer, then ask a computer technician. If you want to learn how to build a house, then ask a carpenter. If you want to learn how to build a bridge, then ask a civil engineer. But if you want to learn how to build a relationship for evangelism and discipleship, then ask the master relational bridge builder, namely Jesus Christ himself. Just spend some time in prayer and observation in how Jesus communicated with people in the Gospels, and you'll find all kinds of principles. Jesus used everyday objects, events, observations to communicate specific spiritual truth that penetrated the hearts of people, convicting them of sin and of their need for Messiah. These communication bridges into the lives of ordinary people are all over the place if you will simply open your spiritual eyes and ears and observe what the Father is doing in and around you. Let's read such one story from the book of John. This is the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water, springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty and come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Well, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem it is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow, what a master communicator and bridge builder was Jesus. In less than five minutes, Jesus had built a relational bridge with a complete stranger of another gender, another culture, another religion, another geography, another ethnicity, another historical background, another sense of morality, another educational background, bridging the barriers of isolation, loneliness, tiredness, confusion, immorality, guilt, shame, damaged identity, false religion, deception, and spiritual drought, bringing that foreigner woman into a revelation and a personal relationship with the living Messiah. Wow! Wouldn't you love to be able to be that spiritually effective in your evangelism and discipleship relationships. Now, I know some people who have the gift of evangelism. My professor at seminary, Dr. Larry Moyer, told us lots of stories how he would so easily use his bad news, good news gospel presentation with people in everyday life, in the checkout lines, in the grocery stores, or on the airplanes as he was traveling to conferences. It was just such a natural thing for him to do. I also have an African friend here in Ukraine who has the ability to sit down with practically anybody and so easily and naturally share the gospel with persons on the street or just about anybody. And I have asked myself, why can't I have this gift, Lord? Part of the reason why some believers are so effective at evangelism is because they probably have the gift of evangelism, and they hold the office of evangelist. These are like the Billy Grahams of this world. But on the other side, I also recognize that part of the reason why these men are so effective is because they have learned the secret of how to build relational bridges into the lives of people around them. Now let us dive into nine ways that Jesus built spiritual bridges with this Samaritan woman at the well. And now the first of nine bridge-building principles that Jesus used was that he was willing to go to the places where the lost were located. In this story, we see that Jesus intentionally chose a route that would lead him to have contact with the Samaritan sinners you know, most Jews avoided this geographical region because the Samaritans were considered as enemies of the Jews. And in their minds, this geographical area was a barrier. You know, you cannot expect the lost people of the world to come to you. The lost are not going to come knocking on your door. The lost are not going to come running into your church buildings. Instead, you're going to have to go out and build bridges into their worlds where they are located. And Jesus was the perfect model of going out and building bridges into the lives of everyday sinners. 
Jesus met with people along the pathways of life. Jesus ate with the sinners and the tax collectors. Jesus spent more time out there in the world on the streets than he did with the Pharisees in the synagogues. And so successful disciple-makers need to be going out to the lost, to the broken-hearted, to the downtrodden, rather than expecting the people to come into their comfort zones. Now a second bridge-building principle that Jesus used was that he remained observant of his surroundings. You know, when he sat down at the well in the middle of the day, it was probably hot, and he was tired and thirsty, and he had every opportunity to just sit there and relax and wait for his disciples to come back with the food. I'm sure that everyone was tired from the journey, and when you're tired, you just want to sit and relax and take a break and not bother with anybody who happens by. But how many times do we see Jesus interrupted from times of rest in order to interact with people, to serve them, and to teach them new spiritual truth? So Jesus didn't complain, and Jesus didn't avoid the contact with this woman. Rather, he remained aware of his surroundings, he remained alert and observant, and he noticed that there was something not quite right about this woman. This Samaritan woman came to the well at an odd hour of the day. Now most women in their culture and in their day would come to the well in the cool of the morning. That made much more logical sense. But something must have prompted this woman to come alone at a later time of the day. And I'm sure Jesus understood that this woman did not want to be seen. John doesn't give us all the details, but later we find out that this woman had some morality issues. So Jesus observed her needs, the natural need, the need for water. And this was Jesus' natural bridge into her world. To start the conversation out, Jesus would ask this woman for a drink of water. Woman, give me some water, he said. Now how many times has a bridge been built simply by a question? If you observe your surroundings and then find a natural bridge and then ask a contextual question around the natural needs of people around you, then that's a great way to start a spiritual conversation with somebody. Yes, successful disciple makers observe their surroundings and they find the natural needs and the natural bridges into the lives of those around them. Now, a third of nine bridge-building principles that Jesus used was that he was willing to engage in conversation with those who were different from him. Jesus was a master of this. He constantly bridged many barriers, gender barriers, ethnic barriers, cultural barriers, and religious barriers. Here in this story, we see that Jesus quickly bridged the gender barrier by asking the woman for a drink. Now, this was a shock because in those days, it was unheard of in Jewish culture for men to speak with women in public places. And then Jesus bridged the ethnic barrier of a Jew speaking with a Samaritan. Well, this was another cultural taboo of their day. No way would a Jew ever speak with a Samaritan, for they had a bad history with one another. They had bad blood, you might say, and they did not associate with one another. Some seven centuries before Christ, Israel was carried away into captivity by the Assyrians, 
and the Assyrians relocated five foreign tribes into the land of Israel. Later, some Israelites returned to that land and intermarried with those Assyrians, having mixed marriages. And they were considered by the Jews as, as traitors, as mixed people, and there was a lot of bad blood between the two groups. But nevertheless, Jesus bridged this ethnic and cultural barrier. By sharing a simple cup of water with the Samaritan woman, he was putting himself in the position of what was considered by the Pharisees as being doubly defiled. You see, the Jews and Samaritans, they had a different Bible. They had a different place of worship. They had a different priesthood. But Jesus nullified all those barriers. You know, Jesus even bridged a moral barrier between the two. When you think about it, here was Jesus, completely righteous, never having sinned. And he was speaking with this Samaritan woman who had had five husbands and was living with another man. Jesus had the perfect opportunity there to shame her, but instead he cared for her. And he directed her towards a redemptive outcome. Are you willing to speak with someone who is a great sinner, who has done many wrong things, in order to bridge the gospel into their lives? So Jesus didn't let gender or ethnicity or culture or religion or even morality keep him from bridging across those barriers in order to bring the good news of Messiah to this woman. Yes, successful disciple-makers bridge all barriers in order to preach the good news of Messiah to those around them. Now, a fourth of nine bridge-building principles that Jesus used was that he drew spiritual parallels from the physical surroundings around him. Of course, we've already mentioned that Jesus initiated the conversation with a natural bridge request asking the woman for a drink. If you don't know where to start in a conversation, then always start with a question. Questions are great bridges. Another great bridge is asking somebody to help you with something. It shows that you're vulnerable, and Jesus asked her for a drink of water. Another bridge-building technique is to look for the felt physical needs in the lives of those around you. She had a need for water. And when you have to go to the well daily to draw water from a well, it becomes even more central need in your thinking and in your life. And then Jesus used that natural bridge of the water, turning the tables on her, offering her a gift of living water. Jesus continued to draw spiritual parallels from physical surroundings regarding the construction of the well itself, regarding her relationships, regarding the mountain upon which the Samaritans worshipped, and of course regarding his identity. So I want to share this principle with you, that God created the world in such a way that there would be many parallels between the physical and the spiritual. And all you have to do is to open your eyes around you, to look at the physical circumstances and the needs of people, and then draw the spiritual parallels between it. In fact, in Genesis, it implies that God first created the spiritual, and then he hung the physical on top of the spiritual. So my point is that your best illustrations are built into the setting in which you're at right now. They're built in cre into creation. 
Successful disciple makers draw parallels from the physical surroundings. And then a fifth of nine bridge building principles that Jesus used was that he spoke some puzzling statements and led people through a process of discovery. The first puzzling statement that Jesus used was that he asked her for water. And that puzzled her why a Jewish man would ask a Samaritan woman for a cup of water. The second puzzling statement that Jesus used was that he offered her living water. She was puzzled how he could provide water without a bucket. A third puzzling statement that Jesus used was that this living water would well up into eternal life. That would have piqued her sense of religion. A fourth puzzling statement that Jesus used was a command for her to go get her husband. This was shocking for her, and so she answered, I have no husband. A fifth puzzling statement that was actually a word of knowledge was revealing that she had already had five husbands and was living with a man that was not her husband. Sometimes God will give you a word of knowledge to speak about the person's past or about their present circumstances. A sixth puzzling statement that Jesus used was the statement about true worship being neither in Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem, but true worship being in spirit and in truth. Then, of course, the seventh puzzling statement that piqued her interest and drew her closer to the goal was this personal revelation about who he was as Messiah. This was the first time in the book of John that Jesus used the statement, I am. You see, there was this process of transitioning this woman from one puzzling statement to another that leads to more and more personal revelation. Successful disciple-makers will lead people through a process to the Messiah. Now, a sixth of nine bridge-building techniques that Jesus used was that he probed the issues of authority in her life upon which she was basing her belief system. You know, this entire conversation with the woman had, to d had everything to do with authority levels. Jesus broke the authority norms by asking her for a drink. She questions Jesus' authority uh, for giving her water when he had no physical bucket. Jesus questioned her authority about being under a husband. And she claims not to be under the authority of a husband. And then Jesus revealed the broken authorities that she had had in the past with five husbands. And then she questioned Jesus' religious authority as a Jew. And then Jesus questioned her true spirituality. And then she questioned the possibility of a coming Messiah. And then Jesus revealed his true identity and authority as the one Messiah who has all authority. This is just an amazing conversation where he breaks down all those authority levels in her life that were like barriers to her receiving the truth about Messiah. He probed and probed until he finally got to the core of her false belief systems. And then he bridged all of those barriers, melting away the defensive systems that she kept throwing back at him. Successful disciple-makers will chip away at the barriers of authority to the central core need of their need for spiritual life through salvation in the Messiah.
Now, a seventh of nine bridge-building techniques that Jesus used was that he always kept the conversation on spiritual track when she tried to switch directions. This principle of keeping people on spiritual track is super important. Consider all the many times that she tried to take the conversation on a tangent in a different direction. You know, this is going to happen to you in almost every spiritual conversation. Satan will plant some ideas in the mind of these people to distract, to divert, and to move people away from your spiritual goal. And you have to bring them back into the real core of the conversation of their spiritual need. She tried to divert the attention away by using the gender barrier. And Jesus brought the conversation back to the gift of God. She tried to divert the attention away to the ancestors and the history of Jacob's well. And Jesus brought her back to the conversation of, about eternal life giving water. She tried to divert the attention away from her real personal relational problems. And Jesus redirected the conversation back to her marital infidelity and this long history of having many different husbands. She tried to divert the attention away to religious differences between the Samaritans and the Jews. And Jesus redirected her back to the need to worship in spirit and truth without religion. And then when she mentioned a coming promised Messiah, Jesus completely zeroed in and focused her attention on himself as that promised Messiah Savior. What a powerful method of redirecting the attention back to spiritual things in a conversation. You know, successful disciple makers learn how to keep the conversation on track when Satan and the other people are trying to get it off track all the time. And an eighth of nine bridge-building principles and techniques that Jesus used was that Jesus always directed them to the root of their problem and to the root of the solution. At first, she thought the root of her problem was having to work hard to come out there and draw water in the heat of the middle of the day to avoid the gossip of the other women. Second, she thought the root of her problem was being under the authority of certain men in marriage relationships. Third, she thought the root of her problem was perhaps having a wrong religion of the Samaritans rather than the Jews. And Jesus revealed the real root of her problem was not having a personal relationship with Messiah. See, there's a lot of people out there who think that their real problem is some sinful habit or some guilt that they have about something that happened in the past. But that's not the real problem. Their real problem is that they are dwelling on that sin and the guilt and not believing and receiving the free gift of eternal life by grace through faith in the relationship with the Messiah, Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Successful disciple-makers will always lead people to the root of their need for a personal relationship with the living Messiah. And then a ninth of nine bridge-building techniques that Jesus used was that he ended the conversation pointing them to the true Messiah. 
Many evangelists and disciple makers leave out the final step, a step of asking, do you want to receive the Messiah as your Savior? But in this story, Jesus clearly communicated who he was as Messiah, and this was an invitation for her to believe and to receive. And we read later that she went into the town and she told everybody, is this not the Messiah, she said, who told me everything I have done? So successful evangelists close out the conversation with an invitation to believe, to have faith, to receive the forgiveness and the salvation that Jesus Christ offers. Now I wish we could have seen the facial expressions in the eyes of Jesus and there's probably a whole lot that was going on there that you can't write about in black and white on a page. But I believe this was an invitation to believe and receive the good news of Jesus Christ and she accepted. Now if you have not been encouraged, equipped, and empowered by Jesus bridge building techniques and barrier breaking communication methods, then I don't know how to convince you. This idea of bridge building is so powerful and essential. I implore you to think about these principles and to start to implement them in your spiritual conversations with family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and among your members in local churches. Not only will these principles help you overcome your fear, not only will they help you get started and get into the game, but they'll also help you to have great spiritual success and have some cool touchdowns like Jakeem Grant just did in the NFL. Now after the break, we're going to return and we'll wrap up this episode on bridge building into the lives of individuals using the principles of Jesus Christ. Stay with us. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Bridge Building Techniques of Jesus into the lives of individuals around you. And we invite you to come back next week for more bridge building techniques into the lives of crowds around you. But we hope that today you have seen yourself as a bridge builder in your relationships, whether it's at home, whether it's at work or at school or wherever God has placed you. You are the priest. You are the ambassador for Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6 reads, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus Christ was this bridge or this mediator. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 reminds us that we too are bridge builders. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see the connections here? Christ is the bridge between us and God the Father, and we are called as ambassadors of Christ to be the bridge between others and Jesus Christ. And so I beg you, learn 
from these nine techniques that Jesus used to bridge his life into the life of the Samaritan woman and begin to apply this out in your relationships with people in the home, in the neighborhood, at work, in church, or wherever God is sending you. And so come back next week for another engaging and equipping episode in how to build bridges, not only among individuals like Christ did with the Samaritan woman, but also in large group venue settings. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining our show today. If you have a question about the topic, if you have comments or any feedback, if you have any ideas for future topics or guest speakers, if you'd like to download our free online discipleship curriculum, if you'd like to join our social networking group on Facebook, if you'd like to sign up for our next disciple-making webinar, if you'd like to become a patron, sponsor, crowdfunder, or volunteer to help us reach our goal, then start a dialogue with us at www.disciplemakingministries.org or leave a message at area code 214-377-1107. We also appreciate positive reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Podbean, as well as sharing the news about our podcast with your family and friends. Join us next week for another engaging episode. This is your host, David Spirik, signing off from Kiev, Ukraine.